And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a summer Friday morning in late July where the NBA should be reaching its doldrums, but social media just remains a firestorm of cryptic Instagram posts of superstars falling for fake tweets and then amping up the tension with other NBA players. It's a great time in the NBA, and it's a great time to talk to Sports Illustrated's Chris Herring, author of the best-selling Blood in the Garden. How are you, sir? Good, Zach. It's been a minute. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. The homework assignment for both of us was, okay, stuff's died down a little bit. Let's pick five intriguing fits for next season or intriguing maybe they could or could not happen fits and all the implications of those now that all the activity has happened, or most of the activity has happened, um, and go from there. And I wanted to start with James Harden because James Harden remains in the news. Chris, every time I do this podcast, I have to get out of my comfortable chair because it squeaks when I move it around and bring in a wooden <laughs> chair that is uncomfortable because it is it, it does not move and it's wooden and it's hard, but it doesn't make sounds. And so I am uncomfortable. I have gotten uncomfortable. Are you uncomfortable? Because the Philadelphia 76ers with Daryl Morey dating back to the Rockets times and now James Harden hopping on Instagram and saying he's ready to get uncomfortable – I just now they've ruined the word for me. I don't even I never liked the word uncomfortable to begin with, but now they've ruined the word. Everyone's ready to get uncomfortable. And so we have to talk about James Harden. And a question that really hasn't been talked about much is the only team that has, I think, um, engaged on any real level with the Philadelphia 76ers since James Harden, for some reason, opted in. To thirty, well, thirty-five million dollars of reasons, but now he's a Sixer, um, and the only team which James Harden wants to go to, as if he's a free agent and he can do whatever he wants, despite opting in to play for the Philadelphia 76ers, is the Los Angeles Clippers. And there has not been a lot of talk of like, wait a second, if that were to actually happen, and I don't think there's been any traction at all between the two teams, and I don't think the Clippers have really shown any interest in offering anything close to what Daryl Morey claims that he wants for James Harden. Um, How would that actually work in Los Angeles? So get uncomfortable, put on on some uncomfortable clothes, and what the – I don't even know where to start with this, man. Like there's just so much to talk about with James Harden and the Clippers and the implications for the Sixers, the implications for Joel Embiid, who had some comments earlier, well, I guess last week that surfaced earlier this week about winning a championship Sunday, whether it's in Philadelphia or anywhere else. Where do you want to start with this mess? It's a mess. It's just a mess. Um, we can start in any number of places. I mean, we can we can start with the Clippers and the idea that, um, look, this is a really highly important season for them. From the standpoint of needing to put your best foot forward if you want to keep these superstars around. Granted, they have been ones that have been on the shelf quite a bit. Chris, Chris, um, not to interrupt you, but it's not an, just an important season. Nine days ago, Kawhi Leonard became eligible for an extension. In right. two months, Paul George becomes eligible for an extension. Crickets on all fronts. Right, because, I mean, how deep into the future do you want to go with this iteration of your team if these guys can't be available? And, I mean, that was a question before last season. Um, But, 
I think a lot of us coalesced and said, like, this is the year we think the Clippers can do it. We love the depth that they have. And what's kind of awkward about it now, I don't blame the Clippers for uh, driving a hard bargain here because why would you just give the Sixers whatever they want when who are you bidding against? Do you that desperately need James Harden on your team? Um, Also, just the unpredictability of James Harden from, you know, leaving pretty good teams and leaving in situations where he's on a contender now. Granted, they're not like a top flight contender, but they're a contender nonetheless with the the reigning MVP. Why are we letting them off the hook with this like they're not a top flight contender? They are a top flight contender. They just don't play like it when the series is on the line, but they have everything they need to be a top flight contender. I, I like... They should have beat. They were up three two against Boston yes. and up at home in Game Six, and just frittered it away like they fritter away the second round series all the time. I don't. I'm not letting them off the hook, Chris Herring. They should be an inner circle title contender on talent. Maybe they should be, but I again, like I here's my thing. I would put them here where if they won a title, nobody would look back and call it improbable, or maybe somebody would try to. I'm sure they would say nobody believed in us. They would do the DJ Khaled thing. Um, they have enough talent to do it. I, as you said, we don't trust them to, and I think we have all sorts of reasons. Game six and seven among them, and how how their best players or what who we think of as being their best players showed up in those moments. So from that standpoint, I'm not giving up much right now, certainly if I'm the Clippers and we can have the conversation about it. If at any point, if you're that desperate to do it, I think it would be an interesting look. And if you're going all in and trying to show your guys, Hey, we went all in. I'll put it this way. And this is the one reason I think about of like, why I would do it. If I were the Clippers eventually not right now is you just tried the depth thing. With the Clippers. I don't think it failed necessarily because the depth wasn't there as much as we thought it was. It was the same question. You know, it's it's the same reason all the time. It's always that one of your two guys or both of your key guys aren't available. So if you catch lightning in a bottle and you're the Clippers, you might feel like you can get it done with your depth. You might also feel like if you can catch lightning in a bottle and have those two guys healthy and add James Harden to it, uh, that that increases your chances a little bit more than having as much depth as you've had. I just think the baseline answer is you need your two stars. But if you want to go forward and try to throw a cherry on top of James Harden this year, I would understand it if I was the Clippers. At this point, where I'm more on the fence is the Philly situation just because on the one hand, you would feel okay about the idea of like, it's James Harden. We generally know what tends to motivate him. Uh, seemingly the idea that he was willing to, um, opt in, we, we think is because he wants to play for a bigger contract down the line. He didn't feel like he had the leverage there to get that now. And it seemed like that was the frustration with the Sixers is that he thought maybe that was coming this off season. Anyway, maybe that was why he took less money last year. I imagine it probably was, but he's in a contract year. That's a, a motivating factor. He can't really show his ass the way he seemed to do in the Houston situation um, a few years back. Oh, oh yes, he could. <laughs> I don't doubt the ass-showing ability of a discontented James Harden for one second. Um, Even in a contract here? This guy has turned down... He Whatever has happened with him in the last three years, he's turned down or cost himself so much money with weird financial decisions... Speaking of which, and I don't want to say too much more about this now, you know who's watching all of this with like 
the Michael Jackson eating popcorn level enthusiasm is the Brooklyn <laughs> is the Brooklyn Nets who have never gotten over whatever happened that drove Harden out of there and into the arms of Daryl Morey coming off a private jet for an emotional reunion hug with James Harden. They're just sitting there like, oh man, we would love if everything came out one way or another. But that's a story for another day. Let's talk about the Sixers and the Clippers actually. Because what they have in common is they've really done almost nothing of consequence in the entire offseason. And in fact, just watched good players walk away. Um, that's George Niang and uh, Shake Milton, I guess, to a lesser extent in Philadelphia, although they brought back Paul Reed. And the Clippers, like you mentioned, their depth. Here's what's happened to their depth. Eric Gordon has gone, just dumped away. Um, they traded like real stuff for Eric Gordon, a pick swap that was semi-valuable. And and Kennard went out in related transactions in some seconds, I think. Uh, and Marcus Morris and Robert Covington were like out of the rotation for the most part in the playoffs until so many guys got hurt that they had to resurrect Marcus Morris at least. So right. their depth is not what it once was. And um, around at least the Clippers, most of the West has gotten better. As they've stagnated, now they signed Kenyon Martin Jr. He's going to be good for them. I think that was a good move. Kobe Brown, who they drafted at 30, was killing it in summer league before it, when that was going on. And um, and so they have they have a couple of – and they've got some young guys who can maybe do stuff. But this is a team that, like, sniffed around Chris Paul, I think got, if not close, like, decent traction on getting Chris Paul. Didn't get him. Tried to get Malcolm Brogdon. Didn't get him. Everyone around them in their stratosphere has gotten better. Their top two guys are never healthy at the same time. Like they're at risk as these guys become eligible for extensions. And I remain steadfast. Like I will be very surprised if they are locked into full four year guaranteed max extensions. I just think that's going to be a real negotiation this time around. You just cannot do it. But they're staring that in the face and looking at like, has the Western Conference just kind of passed us by? Like, that's a very dangerous place to be. With these two guys that you traded, Shea Gilders-Alexander, in every pick and swap for a half decade plus to get as you're going into a new arena and you know that there's pressure to get a good team in your year one of the new arena, and you're looking around like, has the conference passed us by? And that's why I don't mind the Sixers being like, let's just wait this out because they've got to feel somewhat, if not desperate, worried that indeed the West has passed them by. So that's the Clippers situation. Um, what sticks out to you about the Sixers? I mean, you, you you named it at the top of your pod from the standpoint of the Embiid thing. Really, like, that comment came out, and I swear to you, it, it immediately made me think back to, like, draft night of a team being on the clock. Um, just from the standpoint of, oh, like, that's Joel Embiid, he can downplay it and say that he likes to troll. I mean, he's no. pretty media savvy. Like he's very media savvy. We watched him for the better part of a whole season. Talk with a plum about the idea of Ben Simmons and talk about it relatively even handedly and not dig in the way that we've seen him do before when he wants to. So the idea that, Joel Embiid says, or anywhere else, however he wants to downplay it after the fact, this is a guy that has waited, has been on a team and the, the leader of a team that has been to the second round and no further in five out of the last six years. Um, and he's 
turning 30 soon. He's he's been healthy. He's won an MVP. Um, I mean, he, he's watched you cycle star players in and out of this organization. Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, who you had higher hopes for, James Harden. And now he's looking at a situation where the Harden situation is awkward. He's saying he doesn't want to be there. And the idea of you bringing him back, while, again, maybe in, in some iteration of all this, maybe if you take Daryl Morey at his word, you would roll the dice and just say, we're going to bring him back the same way that they did with the Ben Simmons situation. And we're going to figure it out. You have less ability to just do that and just kind of say, well, we hope it works. You can't really roll the dice there. If if, if James Harden, as you said, he, he's liable to potentially show his ass. I, I, we can debate whether we think he would do that in light of how much money is on the table this time. This is, I mean... I don't know what sort of contract he gets if he does that. And then when he actually does play for the Sixers or anybody well, else this But this season. is why there's no other suitors right now because he's on an expiring contract and because all of these teams have seen how the movie ends every single time, which is mm -hmm. a horrible playoff loss, James Harden blaming everybody else and asking out. That's the same movie over and over again. Now, let's. I, it's hard to know like which of these teams is in a more precarious situation. It, <laughs> it might be the it might be the Sixers by default, just because their superstar just won the MVP and is like three years younger than the Clippers superstars, and is actually bizarrely healthier than both of them somehow, despite entering the league with endless health problems. Um, right. So Daryl Morey went on the radio in Philadelphia this past week and essentially said, if we don't get the return we want for James Harden, which is a star player or assets we can turn into a star player, we are not trading him, even though we would like to honor his request to be traded. James Harden then, I guess, took off. I'm not on Instagram. I guess he took off all his Sixers, whatever, on Instagram and then posted that it's about time to get, he's been comfortable for too long. Now he's joining Daryl Morey in uncomfortability. Um, so clearly there is a is a stalemate here. Um, here's what James Harden is facing that I didn't realize until I started kind of just shooting the breeze with some people around the league um, about this. There is an obscure clause in the collective bargaining agreement that says the following. Um, a player who is in the last year of his contract. Okay, so that's James Harden. He's in it on an expiring contract. Who... Um, withholds his playing services for more than 30 days after the start of the last season covered by his contract. She'll be deemed, I'm paraphrasing now, uh, she'll be deemed to have violated his contract. Accordingly, such a player shall not be a veteran free agent and shall not be entitled to negotiate or sign a contract with any other professional basketball team unless and until the team for which the player last played expressly agrees otherwise. I was alerted to that clause by people who would know what it means. And then I checked with other people who would know what it means. And I said, guys, am I an idiot? Or does this say if he actually doesn't show up, the Sixers, because he's in an expiring contract, can block him in perpetuity from signing in the NBA? And I checked with legal people and cap people and team people and whatever people. And the answer every time was yes. And not only the NBA, any other professional basketball team means exactly what you think it is. So if you just read that, that's why I made the comment about James quote showing his ass, as you put it, is because if, if, if given that reality, if he's not traded, he kind of has to show up 
And well, and we know what happens if he shows up and he's unhappy because we've seen it over and over again. Yes, and and that's my only thing is, look, I I still tend to err, and I'm I'm I don't feel like I'm in the business of giving James Harden the benefit of the doubt. Like I've watched him for long enough, we all have. But my point is, it's not, it wouldn't be a fear that he does not show up at all. I don't think that that's going to happen here. I think there's too much on the line, and and that is a perfect. Uh, perfectly emblematic of exactly what I'm talking about. I didn't know about that clause. It's on page but 317 still... of the CBA PDF on the union's website. And oh. I like was like, is this real? And it's apparently been in the CBA. It's not new. It's been in the CBA for like many years. That's CBAs. not a new addition? Wow. Um, damn, I, I, I bet the Sixers wish that Ben Simmons had been in the last year of his deal when all this stuff was happening before. Anyway, I say all that to say that he'll show up. I think, I think the real thing is whether he'll show up and be giving his best effort and keep in mind, even with some of the stuff, as it related to the last time the Sixers dealt with an unhappy guard forward, whatever you want to call Simmons. uh, That was a situation where he showed up and doc rivers, I think was alleged to have have kicked him out of practice. And then it became a phone in his pocket. Remember he had the phone in his pocket. I'm well aware. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to go to bat for anybody here. Like I'm, First of all, I'm not in these practices. I'm not taking up for disgruntled players. What I'm saying is that that becomes a, a, a dispute of sure. if he's there and he's in practice and he's practicing, even if he's doing it with a cell phone in his pocket, I imagine he's still going to be able to make the argument that he was there and willing. And James Harden, for how crappy he was those last few games in Houston, where his numbers were just off completely from anything he'd ever done there before in the four or five seasons previously, uh, he could still say he was showing up. No question. And, and, and based on that, like I think that clause is going to be hard to enforce unless he just decides not to show up, which I don't think he can afford to do. But then again, like you said, he, he's been a total wild card from the standpoint of what he's thinking, why he's leaving, um, why he's opting into a deal when he actually wants to be essentially moved and on the market. Um, we could have the conversations all day. He's To me... You've raised this question before in, in, in a really fantastic feature uh, about KD, about like, what does Kevin Durant actually want? Um, I raised that at a certain point about Kevin Durant when all this stuff was kind of fraying around him in Brooklyn and the idea of him asking out when you have a what seems to be a pretty good situation in terms of just winning. But there's more to it for, for guys than that. Uh, the money is important. The longevity of the contract is important. And uh, clearly the, the winning is not the most important part because we've seen just in the last season alone, we've seen a, a number of guys ask out of situations that look to be winning situations. You might not be the happiest in them, but normally the thought was always you're in a contract year, just kind of ride it out, play as well as you can. And then, you know, you're, you're on to your next thing, but it, it's really not like that for Kyrie certainly. And, and with Harden, we're now seeing the unhappiness with this. And this is where it all comes back to Embiid, because whether he shows up or not, and I would, I mean, just reading the CBA is like, oh my God, he's kind of got to show up, but who knows? Um, If he's unhappy or if he's sulking or playing at 60% effort, you're kind of doing the same thing you did two years ago where you're asking Joel Embiid to make up for the semi-absence or in that case, full absence of the nominal second best player on the team. And this is a guy who every year arrives at the playoffs, some combination of injured 
and tired from going all out for the MVP, from carrying a huge load in the regular season, from being a seven-foot giant person who has to do a ton of stuff on both ends of the floor. And one of the Sixers' number one issues, if they ever want to win a championship with Joel Embiid, is getting him to the playoffs in a physical state where he can average 30 a game and do Joel Embiid things and not have a negative assist-to-turnover ratio and the whole thing. Can you really ask him to soldier through that kind of situation again? Secondly... I keep hearing how the Sixers can open two max slots a year from now if they just kind of hold their cards and bring Harden back on an expiring deal or trade Harden for only expiring contracts and have Tobias Harris's contract come off the books. And it's cool to say that. And then you start doing the math and you're like, oh, they actually can't. And here's the math. Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey's cap hold by themselves are $64 million. Then you, if, if you trade everything else, let's pretend you trade your draft pick. You pick up no options. You trade PJ Tucker somehow. You dump him into somebody's space. You still have, yeah, you that's only left. two. Yeah. Then you have 10 minimum cap holds that come into place at like a million a pop. That gets you to like 74, 75 million. The cap next season 20, for 24, 25 will be about 146, 145, 147, something in there. Just with Maxi and Embiid, you only have like $72 million to $74 million in cap space. A 30% max contract is $44 million. So you need 88 to sign two 30% maxes, let alone a 35% max for someone who's been in the league for 10 years. So the Sixers can talk all they want about how well we've got two max slots, two max slots. You have, what you have is two almost max slots. And so the whole thing is very precarious for both sides. Real quickly, how do you actually think Harden would fit with the Clippers, with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in a starting five that would presumably be those three Zubots and then pick pick somebody from the Terrence Mann, Nick Batum. Russ then goes back to being sort of the off the bench, super, right. super energizer point guard, I, I would guess anyway. How do you think that all works? I mean, I will say this. First of all, this is going to be a even more like ISO heavy team, just so ISO heavy. We know that. I mean, we've kind of gotten used to that being the case a little bit with Harden led teams or Harden involved teams anyway. Uh, it's hard to imagine the three of them together because as you said, there's always somebody hurt within the, just the, the core two guys that they've got. Um, what I would like about it and I, why I think a lot of people were high on the idea of John Wall becoming a Clipper um, initially is that those guys were doing so much on their own. And that's never really been the most comforting feeling to me of those guys having to get their own shots, the way that they're getting their own shots. And then you add in their injury history to it. It, it, it gets back to kind of what you've said about Embiid from the standpoint of he's having to do a lot of it on his own. And by the time you get to the playoffs, you know, if it's a race, the Clippers have uh, a couple of hairs. It, it feels like, and, and, you know, the pace of it just is too much, even with them, load managing it, it just is too much on their bodies so i like the idea of harden for that i like the idea of harden because they kind of seem to need someone and, and something to shake up the team a little bit you made the references before to the guys that they've just kind of lost for nothing the guys that have just kind of languished to some extent that have been there that are good players to most teams they would be very good players so i i, I think they could really use them it doesn't mean that i think it would be a great situation 
you take out the question at that point, even if he's a wild card of, is he just going to be totally unhappy because he didn't get what he wanted? He, he wants to go to the Clippers. Even if it's just momentary, he wants that. So I imagine that that's a, a boost to the Clippers, even if it's just for a while where, um, I mean, I can remember his first game with the Sixers, the first couple of games of the Sixers, like, wow, he looks great. But he always tends to do that, at least for a while, when he's going into a new situation, when he's unhappy from the previous situation. So I think it would be a, a, a gamble worth taking if you can give up something that isn't that you don't feel is too much, obviously. I mean, that should be obvious to say that. But uh, if you can stretch this out a little bit further, the Clippers have most of their roster already. You know, they're, they're I think they'd be a little bit less impacted than the Sixers who, you know, you probably want to get these guys involved. The Clippers are, are so used to guys kind of coming in and out of the lineup. Their stars coming in and out of the lineup anyway. But I think that they could use them, and I think it at least gives you the ability to say, we shook something up. Maybe that makes the idea of an extension more appealing to these guys without it being four years, uh, which you don't want to do. It gives you an opportunity to go into this new arena with the idea of these guys at least see you doing something um, separate from the idea of trying to add more depth or trying to add more bit players to this roster. So I, I would like it from that standpoint, because I think you would get a motivated version of Harden. And frankly, he still tended to be more healthy than the other two guys you're talking about. So maybe it helps you from that standpoint too. I like the fit. I do. Um, I just think the, 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 uh, and, and you, like when I made my all-star team last January or February, whenever I wrote it, I had James Harden on it. And I remember writing, like, I can't believe how many all-star rosters I'm seeing from media people that don't have James Harden on it. Mm -hmm. A month left in the season, I had him penciled in as a third-team All-NBA guard. And then he kind of missed some games, and they slumped toward the finish line, and I bumped him out. He was awesome last year. Awesome. And the level of playmaking that he would bring is something that they just have never had around Kawhi and Paul George. Mm -hmm. And if you surround that with shooting and the lineup I just read has Zubats and four guys who can really, really shoot. And James Harden, by the way, started actually taking catch and shoot threes last year, a little bit in Philadelphia, which he had never done before or never done for like eight years. Um, Mm -hmm. And he's got a lot of experience running sort of wing, wing pick and rolls with Kawhi's with, with guys with, with, so you can see Kawhi screening for him or Paul George screening for him or whatever. I think it would work. My worry would just be, they or and and he would get them more free throws. This is a team that in, last season they they were average in free throws, but in the past they have really just not gotten enough at the line. Mm-hmm. Um, my only worry would obviously defensively you're going to take a step back, and then just they're already slow as all hell, and they've mm-hmm. they've been dying to get anyone to make them faster. It's why they liked Norm Powell, and it's why they love Terrence Mann, and they just would get so goddamn slow with Harden yep. and those two guys playing together that, but I, but I, I think it would be not, I, I think it would fit really well. And I think they need a jolt of, of talent of actual a level talent to compete Agreed. at the top of the West now. Um, yeah. You raise a point that I really think about a lot. Just, I mean, look, it, it doesn't sound like, and, and maybe it was never even possible. I know that, you know, the Sixers have signaled every way they can that Tyrese Maxey's going, going to be there so they're not I don't think anybody would be looking to move him but the Damian Lillard situation it's obviously like if you're just playing fantasy GM the idea of adding Lillard to that roster even if it meant losing Maxi, would be intriguing to people that want to see you know a three or four year window that you're really maximizing Joel Embiid's prime Maxi, 
I love him. And I understand that like when we talk about title contention, the idea of them being a top flight contender, like you were saying before, if they do that without James Harden there, and if, and again, like if Harden was there, he would have to be giving full effort for that to happen. But I understand it. But if Harden's not there, you're asking for a lot of progression from Tyrese Maxey. And I think the playmaking part is, is where James Harden, even if you don't love him as a player, the guy led the league in assists last year per game. Uh, he still sees things that just Tyrese Maxey, you're not going to expect a third, in this case, a fourth year Tyrese Maxey to see. Um, you know, they're totally different players. I understand that. <laughs> in some ways, if the Clippers could land somebody with his speed and his playmaking, you would love to do that. Obviously, that's not going to happen, but uh, the Clippers could do a lot worse than landing somebody like Harden. I understand the conversations around him. I understand the frustration about him uh, because I think we've all felt it, whether we're fans or not. I don't care. I'm just an observer of the game, um, but he he absolutely could help them, and I just think his table setting for a, a, a pair of players that are so injured and so banged up every year to the point where you expect it, uh, that could work wonders for them uh even if they had to lose something in the process but i totally get it if i'm the clippers i'm holding out too i i I don't see any downside to holding out you've already lost some pieces of your rotation and your depth so you want to maintain as much of that as you can as you go after him to get some sort of jolt some sort of difference and of course as as you bring up all that stuff there is this sort of largely theoretical three-team trade between Portland, the Clippers, and the Sixers, where all these guys change places. It has been mostly theoretical. I, I don't know if it's ever become anything. I don't know if there's been any discussions about it at all. I also think the Clippers justifiably um, probably have a little um, retroactive anxiety about an uh, trades that send out a good chunk of their future for a superstar or a now an aging sort of former superstar who's just a star star. Um, by which I mean, if the Sixers view is that our best path to turning James Harden into a legit second banana is we got to get Terrence Mann and two first round picks from the Clippers. I just like, can they do this again where they just have no draft assets and no young players and they're all in again around 30 something. Mm. So I'm sure there's some anxiety kind of uh, about that. Uh, But I do think the fit would work. I do wonder about like, you mentioned the table setting, the leading the league in assists, and he, like I said, he was awesome. It feels like every half season he does that, we then hear afterwards from either him or the coach or both about how, you know, that was cool, but he really kind of wanted to play James Harden's way, and we know what James Harden's way is. And another guy who likes to have the ball and isolate a lot is Kawhi Leonard, who's better at it. Well, he's better at it from mm-hmm. certain parts of the court than James Harden is. Um that would be a whole thing. All right, let's turn the page. I don't want to talk about this morass of discontent anymore. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay, full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. 
with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. <laughs> you wrote a great piece for Sports Illustrated about a week ago about Chris, Fall, Chris Paul's fit with the Warriors. And I... I we I feel like it's one of those things that got talked about like when it happened for two hours and then like a whole bunch of other stuff happened exactly and then and then there's like wait Chris Paul's on the Warriors and then there was that little there's little summer league just a mm-hmm. little flare up of I can't remember which <laughs> reporter it was that asked Chris hey so what do you think about coming off the bench for the Warriors and yeah. Chris was like oh oh they made you the coach I'm I'm yeah I'm coming I'm, I'm coming off the bench they made they made you the coach. We'll decide all that in training camp. And that was kind of like, uh, oh, oh, okay. All right, Chris. Like, so the Warriors it was, had, they had a little spice to it. <laughs> so the Warriors starting five was for a time until injuries kind of derailed it. The best lineup in all of basketball last year, Steph, yeah. Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, and Looney. All five of those guys are back. Chris mm-hmm. Paul is now on the team heading up a bench that will feature um, him and Jonathan Kaminga, and Moses Moody, and Gary Payton II, and maybe Corey Joseph, and no backup center, and maybe Pods, the guy they just drafted. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we've all talked about how Chris Paul uh, kind of represents a change-up in style and tempo from the Golden State Chaos Engine. How Chris Paul can, can maybe be their best chance at not falling off a cliff when Steph Curry comes off the bench and give them an identity when Steph Curry comes off the bench. Um, Mm -hmm. now if your number one reason for trading for Chris Paul, well, if you're, if you're check that, if your number two reason behind dumping Jordan Poole's salary and ending this apparently untenable situation between Jordan Poole and Draymond Green, which somehow keeps getting worse. I I don't understand. Now Draymond is going after Jordan, Jordan Poole's dad is going after Draymond on Instagram or social, whatever. Draymond is firing back at Jordan. Somehow parents are now involved. And then Draymond falls for a fake tweet of, of a fake aggregator posting a fake Kevin, Kevin Garnett quote and then goes at Kevin Garnett of all people. Can you imagine the fist oh pumps that God. like the fake aggregator that actually did it? Like, just, they have to be patting themselves on the back till the end Chris, of time Chris, when they get people to fall for that. It's so funny. It's, it's have, not funny. It's We sad. have <laughs> smart, we have tons of smart people falling for fake Twitter accounts, and it's been 100 million degrees in Phoenix for, like, six months. And <laughs> it's just, we're really, we've really, it's really a broken place these days. Did, just did, you, did you just use the fake tweets as, as, as the, like, comparing that? They, I guess you weren't comparing it, but you... you no, I'm not, I'm just like, sometimes, sometimes things happen, and I just, <laughs> where I see news stories, yeah. and I just stop, and I'm like, 
Oh my god. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, so, I'm, I'm with you though. I'm with you. <laughs> so um, anyway, Chris Paul and the Warriors. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated by. It. I I can also readily admit, like readily admit that when I saw it happen, my first thought was, I kind of like this. And I know a lot of people don't. I know a lot of Warriors fans even that, you know, Brian Windhorst said it earlier this week. I know Anthony Slater said it initially that priority number one here, whether the Warriors say it out loud or not, was that they wanted to dump Jordan. Why, why is that even like a controversial statement? I don't understand why people have to couch that in like nobody wants to say that. Why does nobody want to say it? That's what we, it was. You know what, though? But like there's still enough believers out there. And I, I, I'd like to bring up Jordan Poole at some point later in the pod. I was telling you that before um, that – the barbershop comedy, like he's a he is like the perfect delineation of like barbershop talk of a lot of people think that that guy is still really, really good. They don't Which see guy? the lapses on defense. Jordan Poole, um, the the lapses on defense, the inefficiency, the, the, the turnovers that I think he was like fourth in the league in turnovers last year, despite the fact that he's not. He was definitely first in the league in turnovers that made you think what? Was what are you what, doing? What just happened? Like, was right. what was he trying to actually do? Here's the craziest thing, and and like I, I love this about my sister. I've not been able to really like completely get my fiance into basketball yet, although she'll sit and watch games on the couch with me from time to time. My sister has become a really big fan out of I won't say nowhere, but like recently become a really big fan. And Jordan Poole is one of her favorite players largely because of all the memes that he's responsible for and all the faces that he makes during it. She's like, he's so funny. Like, I feel like I just want to be friends with him because of the faces he makes and like the, the reactions that he has, but I res- the reactions I to that, him are, I respect that level of engagement in, in, uh, I mean, I, I would be, if I were a GM, I'd be like 2% more likely to hire Quinn Snyder just for the faces. Oh my God. I'd be like 10% more likely. Um, but you know, I, I, the faces I would make faces too if I was creating the sort of turnovers that he is a lot of times. So I hear all that. So to be able to unload him, even if that's priority number one, to unload him and bring in a guy that is sure-handed, granted, declining, older, aging, but also still when he's healthy, and that's the biggest part, and I understand that when he's healthy is not turning the ball over, you know whatever it was, the, the the crazy assist to turnover ratio that he's always had still gives very good effort on defense and still defends, I wouldn't say bigger, but he's capable of, of defending guys. He's capable of making plays. He's cerebral as all hell on that end of the floor. There's nothing he hasn't seen. He's still a good mid-range shooter. He's still very sure-handed, and he runs a lot of pick and rolls, which runs counter stylistically to this team, which seems like a good candidate to run the bench. So I say all that to say, that when they first dealt for him, my expectation off rip was that this was a guy that was coming off the bench. Uh, maybe it's presumptuous, and I, I know it is based on what he said, to suggest that he kind of knew that and that the team had maybe even communicated it with him. It's, it's very clear that, that was not the case. It hasn't been the case. He said in response to that question, now I would imagine it was Madeline Kenny who asked him that question. Maybe it wasn't her. Um but it was a good question, a completely fair question. For sure. Uh, but it also it also speaks to the idea that this is a lot harder for players of his caliber than it is for us as people that cover the sport. Uh, I covered Carmelo Anthony for years, uh, not right up until he was dealt to OKC. But we all remember the press conference in which he laughed off the question of potentially coming off the bench. 
he's literally in that same friend group with Chris Paul. Um, you know, the, the, the whole banana boat thing, what have you. Uh, God, that, I love the banana. So it, I love a banana boat reference, Chris. Just you hey, and I, I have just, talked about it endlessly, and I love that for us. I love that. For I us. watched Jaw. I got sucked into Jaws recently on uh, on a late night at a hotel. Speaking of, mm-hmm. but isn't there? There's a banana boat incident in Jaws, right? I didn't get to that part. I believe uh, he eats a banana boat. It's people on the banana boat at some point. I'm assuming Jaws was a he. Um, well, we always talk about the banana boat thing, and I'll, let me clarify. Carmelo was not on the banana boat, which is, makes it funnier in some way. But they were all part of the SBs thing, uh, you know. And and now Dan is is messaging. Shout out to Dan uh, to send that chat along. But I was just about to say he, he wasn't actually on the banana boat. Carmelo always corrects that. But they're very close friends. They're, they, I mean, these are guys that have excelled at this point. They're all going to go down as Hall of Famers. It's not surprising that Chris Paul would expect that even if this was the best lineup in the league last year, statistically that like you're going to make room for Chris Paul in the starting line. I, I would prefer they not do that. You know, I would prefer that Chris Paul comes in, says, man, I've never won a championship before. I really want to know what that feels like. I want to experience that. I imagine he's capable of doing that, but it's not just snapping your fingers and it, and it happens. Um, It's also a situation where it might be better for him physically to come off the bench, to give them to not mix and match the styles, to just have him, run the bench. You can operate with that style off the bench. Um, it also makes sense that the Warriors might want to run a little bit more, uh, a lot more than, than Chris Paul does at this age, this point in his career. So I think it makes perfect sense for him to come off the bench. And I I like the fit for them if he's willing to do that. I like the idea of him maybe being able to stay more healthy in a role like that than maybe playing him heavy minutes and then wondering like, well, can we use him at the end of a game because we used him heavily at the beginning and at the beginning of the third? I like it. Uh, I, I see the potential pitfalls in it, but I don't see a universe in which Jordan Poole, unless he's a totally different player, um, was a better fit for them. I, I thought he hurt them last year, and I think a lot of the fans of that team would agree. I like Chris Paul on the 2024 Warriors more than Jordan Poole on the 2024 Warriors, and that's the most important place to start. Now, they also lost right. Dante DiVincenzo and didn't really replace him, although I guess they would consider like a full season of GP2 Gary Payton. Yep. As, as that replacement. Mm-hmm. I, I just think Chris Paul's still good, and, and good in ways that can really help their team. I don't really care who starts or who closes because I'm not invested in it. Whether he starts or not, he will be on the floor in crunch time a fair number of games. If he thinks he should start, or if Fan X thinks he should start, then obviously the question is who among Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and Kevon Looney is coming off the bench. Yeah, and three of those guys definitely aren't. Well, we Steph is not, and yeah. uh, and Wiggins is his wing defense is too essential to 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 just kind of keeping everything together. Mm-hmm. And that leaves you with Clay, Draymond, and Looney. We know that they have been willing to bring Looney off the bench um, when they feel the need to go small, uh, when they feel stressed about their spacing. Uh, mm-hmm. Can they survive on the glass and defensively and all that in the regular season? They don't have a backup center. Um, we'll see. An agent pitched to me last night the idea that Draymond should come off the bench and that Chris should start okay. over Draymond. And the theory was, A, he did come off the bench after the Sabonis stomp in the playoffs and seemed to take to the role until the team and him decided, okay, that's enough. Let's start, let's start up. Right. Let's start, let's start <laughs> exactly. up these guys again. Um, <laughs> and, and, um, and also, just like, 
there's just endless amounts of noise about Draymond. Like, is it? Is it? It's just it just never stops. Um, and my response was, it's Draymond Green and the Warriors, man. Like, it's right. just if 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 my number one, if my number one, um, um, good reason for acquiring Chris Paul is to stabilize the team when Curry is on the bench. It's just fundamentally easier to do that if Chris Paul is a backup. Number two, I understand Draymond Green could quarterback the bench. Draymond Green could quarterback any goddamn lineup in the NBA. He's that good as a point forward. I'm not sure how much I want to chip away at the minutes that he and Curry share the floor. The the chemistry they have is just pure magic. I'm not sure I want to minimize it. I think Draymond still starts. Clay had a bad playoffs. Is not the same guy physically he was pre-injuries. No crap. He had two really devastating injuries to his lower body, back-to-back, lost two years plus of basketball. He, to me, he just makes more sense as a starter flying around orbiting those guys with the ball than he does coming off the bench, to which I say, I, I guess you're either starting small with Draymond at the five or Chris, I'm sorry, you're 38, you're the new guy, you've never won a championship, you want to try to win one, you're going to have to come off the bench. And by the way, by doing so, maybe we can keep you to 24-ish minutes a game so you're not hurt in the playoffs. And a very small bonus, no pun intended, if Chris Paul coming off the bench is, if we're already in the bonus, all his bogus rip-throughs and all the stuff he does actually gets you free throws instead of getting Because we know Chris Paul, as soon as you get into the bonus, it's rip-through city. And so you might enter the game... In rip through, say I don't know. It's a small thing. I just don't. And he, look, people will get hurt. Steve will make adjustments if they make the playoffs, assuming they do. And mm-hmm. and maybe he starts in those situations. I just think he's got to come off the bench. Not got to. I shouldn't say that. I I just would. But that's kind of where I'm at. I would just I think bet on him coming off the bench. I think they're. I think the Warriors are currently today theoretically open to possibilities of Chris starting for player X, whoever that would mm-hmm. be. I, just, I would hope that they are, that they're would, at least open. I would bet on him coming off the bench for all the reasons I just said, and I think he fits coming off the bench. The other question then becomes, who is he running spread pick and roll with on those bench units? And to me, the Warriors season hinges. If, if the Warriors are going to get back into the championship conversation, to me it hinges on four guys. Clay and Draymond have to, Clay's got to get back to where he was, and Draymond has to just be Draymond Green and not have all this noise around him all the time. And then Moody and Kaminga need to step into actual roles. And to me, one of the Kaminga roles is as that screen and dive guy for Chris Paul. And the most important thing for Jonathan Kaminga to do this season is to get rebounds. It's one of the reasons they haven't trusted him with big minutes. It's one of the reasons that the Kaminga-Draymond-Green 4-5 combination has not been as successful as you would hope. Is that it's actually mm-hmm. been bad. Is He does not get rebounds. I, don't, I just want to see him decide, I am going to be a really good defensive rebounder, and maybe that becomes workable. But I think Chris off the bench makes a lot of sense for the team. I mean, it's, it, it, I think it's the eventual answer. And to be honest with you, if we, if we give the full context, and I think you gave most of it, the full context around that conversation around Chris Paul, whether he was playfully offended or just kind of being spicy about the question. Chris Paul's not Chris Paul's not playfully offended. <laughs> I mean, he he thinks of himself as a starter, and it's full context on it is he's that Chris never Paul not been a starter. Literally never, never 
come off the bench in the NBA. Not once. He has the longest streak to start a career in NBA history, at least I think since the 1970s, but I think it might be history. I don't know if anyone has the ability to check before the 1970s. He's never once come off the bench as an NBA player. So in light of that, like it makes sense that he expects that. He's a proud player. He should be. He's one of the best point guards of all time. I get it. It it doesn't mean that he's a better fit as a starter. Like we're we're also don't broke don't fix something that's not broken. And and then this is a lineup that works better than any other lineup in the league. You've won championships with this group. You don't need to necessarily fix that. Uh, if you have real struggles and real challenges, I think it's also much easier to go into it with him coming off the bench. And then when someone's out, he gets to replace them. Then the idea of this lineup's not working. Now we have to embarrass somebody. We got, we got to embarrass somebody by going back to what we had before. I don't think you want that. And I think that that becomes more embarrassing and, and it allows him. I mean, to be honest with you, it would have allowed him had he not said what he said to look like he was volunteering to do that. And he, you know, it could have been that way. It could have played into the idea of, there's a humility involved with it. He's trying to just win. He just wants to win at this point. His career is 38. Like now it looks less that way, but also who, who gives a damn about the optics? Like I understand he's proud. He feels like he deserves it based on what he's done in, in his career. Also, they could still potentially be a damn good lineup with him replacing somebody. I don't know who would be best. I certainly don't think it's Draymond. Um, you know, I, I also don't like the idea of pulling Looney and having Draymond run center. Like, I, I want to be mindful of his minutes and his role too, of playing him too long in certain roles for when you've got a playoff run that you're going to have to be concerned about. So I, I get it, but I think that ultimately, I think most people, if you really sit and think about it, Chris Paul's better off the bench for them. I'm, I'm nearly certain of that. The Nuggets will enter the next season as the favorites in the West. I think Phoenix, I have Phoenix as number two. Okay. You have to give the. I, I love what the Lakers did in the offseason, and they beat the Warriors in the playoffs in a series that frankly wasn't as competitive as I thought it was going to be. So you have to put the Lakers there too, over the Warriors. We'll talk about the Grizzlies in a second. They're still going to be really good. Minnesota is going to win a lot of games. The Clippers, we just talked about, whatever. The Kings have the benefit of continuity and real confidence. And by the way, it might have beaten the Warriors in the playoffs had De'Aaron Fox not broken his mm. finger uh, before the last game. Um, Harrison Barnes missing a three at the buzzer, all sorts of stuff. Um, Oklahoma City is just going to keep getting better. Dallas reloaded and reshaped. Like by default, the Warriors will have very low championship odds when all the projection systems come out, and that's fair because they they have some question marks. They're getting older, and everyone in the West is pretty damn good, minus the Blazers. Once they trade Dame, assuming they trade Dame, and you know the Rockets and the Spurs and the Jazz will have some some questions too and some youth. I still think the Warriors can put together one last title run. I'm not counting them out until they're dead and buried. And I like this team. And I think they're going to come back hungry. I think they're all pissed off about how last season was sort of awry from training camp because of the punch and never kind of found its equilibrium. I think mm -hmm. Clay is pissed at how he played in the playoffs, specifically against the Lakers team in a series that he was really geared up for. I think they're going to come back hungry, and I'm not counting them out. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket 
with vivid seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. You want to move to the Grizzlies? Sure. We can talk about that. We we initially came into this talking about the idea of most intriguing fits. So I know that we both had one that we kind of shared here. And that's Marcus Smart in Memphis. And I and I and I wanted to talk about the Grizzlies because I, I because the Boston angle of this trade was just so irresistible because they're they're taking it just seems so stunning that Marcus Smart's not a Celtics not a Celtic not a Celtics not a Celtic and Kristaps Porzingis <laughs> is. It's like whoa that's a yeah. big shift for a team that is deep in the playoffs every single season and two games from the title two seasons ago. That the Memphis angle of it has been shortchanged. The Grizzlies traded Tyus Jones and two first-round picks to get Marcus Smart. Um, John Morant will miss the first 25 games of the season due to suspension. Um, when he comes back, their starting five is almost certainly going to be John Morant, Marcus Smart, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Steven Adams. That's in Morant, Smart, and Adams. Three guys who are shaky to, in Adams' case, non-existent on three-pointers for a team that has been a bad half-court offense even amid its rise right. to uh, high seeds in the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, off the bench, you'll have, I'm, I'm guessing, one of Morant and Smart runs point on second units. Just split that up. Kennard, Santi Aldama, and then Tillman at center until Brandon Clark comes back. And then there's an open spot there for Zaire Williams, LaRavia, Roddy, whoever. In the meantime, while Jaws out, I don't know. It's it's July. They haven't decided. But I'm penciling in Kennard as the fifth starter and Smart and Bain kind of run point. Um, I just – because of the Morant controversy, I, I, I kind of feel like these guys are getting lost in the shuffle now. They were only 11-10 and 10 without Morant last season after excelling without him the year before. Right. You can take the first 25 games if you want. I, I assume they'll survive. They'll be 500-ish, couple games over, couple games under. Bigger picture, what do you think of the Grizzlies with Marcus Smart? Man, it's such an interesting scenario just because I, I think what the name you didn't mention, and I understand why because he's not there anymore, is is Tyus Jones. Of I mean, obviously, to give Marcus Smart, you had to give up something, and Man, Tyus Jones was like kind of quietly a huge glue to this team of why they were able to play as well. I mean, what was it, 21 and five or whatever it was a couple seasons ago, where, you know, I think people would have wanted to have Cha if it hadn't been for how many games he missed. And then also just the apparent fact that the team was so good without him would have been an MVP conversations for some people. Um, and 
Tyus Jones is a different player than Marcus Smart is. He's a very, very dependable one just from the standpoint of how many games he plays. He's basically always played 70-plus games. Last year, he played 80. Uh, Marcus Smart, not that anyone is calling him injury-prone or anything, but he he's not always playing that many games. Certainly, he didn't last year. So there's that, and, and you mentioned it already. There's the shooting aspect of it, um, which this is a team that, has never really had as much as you would like around a player like Ja. Uh, Bain is obviously a wonderful shooter and and someone that that spaces the floor. Kennard does it too. But which version of Marcus Smart are you getting? Are you getting last year's as far as how he shoots last year? And and really for, I think, what was the last couple years, are you he's going back a little bit further? He's 33 to 30. He's 34 to 33 the last four seasons and then before that he had one season of 36 percent, and then after that mm-hmm. it's 33 or lower every year right so it's it, it would be a great year if you're if you're the grizzlies if you could get 36 or 37 out of marcus smart on the volume that we've seen in the past and that's the other thing here is that we can talk about volume for marcus smart but it's a lot easier to have a lot of volume threes when you're playing alongside jason tatum and jalen brown versus when Marcus Smart is in a lineup and John Morant's not there. So there's that aspect of it, too, of like his role is fundamentally different on this team until Jaw's back. And even once Jaw's there, sure, there's John. Sure, you've got Jaron Jackson Jr., but it's not the level of ball handling and playmaking that you have with the team that you're coming from and that you've been with for the majority of your career. He's generally always played around creators that were – more of them than, than what he'll have in Memphis. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, I don't think they'll gamble with it too, too much, but it'll be interesting to me fundamentally to see how often Derek Rose is out there with, with Marcus Smart, just to kind of give a little bit more playmaking and, and, and creation so that it's not all, all on Marcus Smart's shoulders because he he can do it, but it's not something that he's had to do Um with the minutes that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were going to play in Boston. So I'm, I'm really intrigued by it. I mean, again, this was something where we were just looking at the most intriguing fits. I, I, I understand it. I also understand that the part we also haven't discussed here is one that's not tangible from the standpoint of this could be a really good guy to have in Jaw's ear. As Derek Rose will be or can be for, for Ja Morant, uh, of just the value of that from a locker room standpoint, from a keep your head on straight standpoint. Um, and that might carry more value than wins and losses is concerned. Um, you could have much bigger wins down the line because of that. If Ja is, I don't want to say on the straight and narrow, but if if he's more of a positive locker room figure, if he's not doing stuff off the court, that is a concern. And, and it's not Marcus is smart's job to stop that from happening. It's not his life, but uh, you know, it's intriguing from all angles. And I, I, you know, I don't really know what impact it has on them losing Tyus Jones like obviously you always want to add a Marcus Smart type figure to your team but losing Tyus Jones I think was one of the more the one of the less talked about moves um just as far as like how it impacts a team that has been so steady when Jaws out yeah is Marcus Smart on a three-year good contract more valuable than Dylan Brooks plus Tyus Jones Dylan Brooks was an outgoing free agent. Tyus Jones is on an expiring contract. I think it's fair to say probably he is. The two first-round picks out the door hurt, but they're out the door now, and the Grizzlies are now out of extra picks. They have all their own picks and all their own swaps and still can be super active in trades, and they have been Mm -hmm. in the past on guys like Durant and Ananobi, et cetera. Whenever a big wing comes up, they will be making calls. Um, 
And I, but I think given his his ability to toggle between both guard positions and guard threes and fours and whoever, I, I think that's a fair assessment that they've made. Um, what's interesting about Smart going to Memphis is uh, John Morant runs that offense. He averaged, I think, four, uh, 48 pick and rolls per 100 possessions in the regular season. That was like 12th overall among all rotation players. I don't think, but I haven't looked up the numbers recently, but Boston's offense was much more equal opportunity than that. Tatum, Brown, Smart, White are all somewhere between like 15 to 25 pick and rolls per 100 possessions and all could be interchangeable as ball handler screener with each other. Brogdon mm-hmm. actually ran the most pick and rolls per 100 possessions on Boston last season and by a lot. So there was never this question of like, What's Marcus Smart doing when he doesn't have the ball? Because he had the ball a lot, and when he didn't have it, he was often screening for those guys in an offense that was kind of equal-ish opportunity, just in terms of who's involved and on the ball. That won't be the case with Ja as much. I'm sure they'll try some Morant, Smart, two-man game and stuff. So I'm I'm interested in that. And just the half-court offense question in general, um, the bench wing stuff is interesting too, and I wonder how often no one talks about the – the trade part of that trade that Memphis made with New Orleans when there was like a million players involved, including Valanciunas and Adams, was they essentially swapped picks to get up and get Zaire Williams. And the pick New Orleans made with the with the what was the Grizzlies pick was Trey Murphy the third, which is that's one you'd like to have back if you're Memphis. Obviously, Trey Murphy yeah. the third is a stud. Man, um, he's so much fun to watch. The the long term question I have for them is. Is their identity eventually, when they really push the chips in and when they really are ready to win? And by the way, they're not, they were the number two seed in the West last year and three, I, th- I believe, the year before. They're really, really good. It hasn't translated as much in the playoffs as you would hope. Though I thought they did a nice job two seasons ago. I don't even know if we can consider last year. Not to yeah, say we last, can't last consider year, last year, but last year was weird for all sorts of reasons. Suspension, chaos, Jaw breaks his hand in the first game uh, with Anthony Adams, Davis Clark. to charge. Adams out, Clark out. Clark's still right. going to be out to start this season, recovering from an Achilles tear. Um, they're, they're really, really good, but I, I do I often think like, is, is their actual, when it's all coming together, future Jaron Jackson Jr. at center and no other traditional mm. five on the floor? No Clark, who's not a traditional five, but he's a rim runner. No Adams, no Tillman. Is it, it certainly is hopes it, so, right? Is it Triple J at the five? And do they have the personnel now to get there? And last year, I looked at the numbers today, in 803, it's 803 possessions, so probably about 400 minutes. With Jaron Jackson Jr. on the floor and no Clark, no Tillman, no Adams, they were plus 12 per 100 possessions and absolutely mm. unguardable on offense. And we'll see some Aldama, particularly when Clark with Clark out. And Clark-Jackson yeah. has been a killer combination for them for years now. But with Clark out, we will see some Aldama, Triple J at the four and the five. I'm just curious, that's all. They, they feel for a team that has accomplished so much, and not just because of the Morant suspension and all of that they feel still unformed is too strong of a word but there's there's, I have a lot of curiosity about what their final form is going to be in two or three years absolutely I mean we we, I mean the Joss situation it's so easy to just be like we'll see him 25 games from now and I like god willing we will Uh, but it like when you have that sort of stuff in the background and the suspensions and the idea of 
reportedly Steven Adams like saying to the team in general, we've got to clean some of this stuff up. It, there's, there's just so much going on in the background that we don't necessarily know about. And um, frankly, I remember at one point last season early on saying, like, I think this is the, the team to beat. And the crazy part is, like, you really, again, if it was just X's and O's, sure, they could have used more shooting. Sure, they could have used an OG and an OB type player. Um, and and by all accounts, like, they were at least trying to go for that. And, it you know, the, the asking price for them was too steep. They they had the makings of a team that could do it. Like, just progression-wise, their progression curve would have been less steep than a team like Golden State as far as, you know, like, when they won their first title, like, they had been winning. And like we were saying before, they've been winning without Ja there. So they they have enough experience at this point to be in that conversation. I just think there's so much going on in the foreground. And and look, we're not used to seeing teams that have a guy suspended for the first almost third of the season. Um, it, it's like impossible to call a team like that your favorite. I, you know, also aside from the fact that we're talking about the shooting they don't have. So I understand there's other things they need to round out. But two to three years from now, if we're not talking about them as a as a like a high level contender uh, or a team that is like knocking on the door, a team that should have won one by now, it raises questions like what else went wrong? Because they I mean, they were a team that very easily could have ended up, you know, they 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 weren't toe to toe with Golden State, certainly. But Jaw got hurt in a series that was competitive and they still won a game by a, a mountain of points even after that happened against Golden State, a Golden State team that was very good. So um they, they they need to be in that conversation two or three years from now, or it means something either with Ja and his situation or just the, the team building that went terribly wrong or, or injuries, which obviously can always upend yeah, stuff. And you hope it's, it's not that the way Ja plays. You do worry about that, but there's nothing to be Absolutely. done about that. It's just aerial, aerial artistry and power on a small guard makes you a little bit worried just by, by nature. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, their half court offense is always the thing you re, you lose without Adams is obviously their offensive rebounding. They, their offensive rebounding with Adams on the floor is absolutely ridiculous <laughs> and yeah. props up their offense by itself. You just wonder what the roadmap and and you lose his screening and his toughness and all that. I think Smart mm-hmm. will fit there fine. I, I I all my questions about them are are of other varieties. All right, I've monopolized the picks. You pick one. Pick a fit. Um, you know what? I, here's what I'm I, it, again. It's intriguing. So it's just I'm really interested here. I think there's good. I think there's some bad. George Niang in Cleveland is is fascinating to me. Wow, George Niang. He's fascinating to me because to me, I actually liked that pickup for them more than Max Struess. Um, I understand that for the whole year, like I wrote my first piece of last season on. Cleveland, like coming out of training camp, their media day, I was in Cleveland for that. Yes, obviously the Donovan Mitchell stuff, but more so like they've got four all-stars on this team that are all young guys. Everybody's younger than 26. I'm revoking the Jared Allen all-star appearance based on his playoff performance last season. It's revoked. Damn, it was an injury. Bro. It was it wasn't it an injury replacement thing anyway. So it I'm re- was, I'm, but, I'm, I'm, but I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not letting you revoke that because I, he was the second best center in the league and then just didn't get uh, he didn't get picked initially and then was an injury replacement. So he in the time you just said that with. sentence, Mitchell Robinson just threw him out of the way and got another offensive <laughs> rebound. Okay, that's exactly why. So, like, good news, bad news first. The bad news is that George Niang, while he's played for scrappy teams, and I think he can get in the mix every now and then, like he's a, a big guy, he's not a good rebounder 
Like he's not. He's he's a guy that when you look at his numbers, I think last year his rebound percentage was like seven and a half, which to me that's, that's hard to do. It was very hard. I, it was like double take hard to do. I had to look a couple times, and I'm like, oh, this is actually just kind of like not an average season for him, but like he's a single digit rebound guy percentage wise a lot of the time, despite being of a a bigger stature. I think he's six seven. Um, but you look at him size-wise, and you're like, this guy, he, he actually is a pretty good analog to someone like Kevin Love. He's a 40% shooter. He's even better than that when he's left wide open from three. Uh, and this is the role that – the reason I went out to training camp last year to profile the Cavs is like, this is a team that has certainly three guys that you think of as like they're going to be all-stars regularly. Um, they, they can be all-stars regularly. Jared Allen, we don't expect it, but he could be. Injury replacement or not. Um, and they're all young, which that's what's different about it. So at that point, because of what we're talking about, you're going to have one guy a lot of times is going to get open shots. It was more a question of like, who are they using that fifth spot on to start? Karis LeVert is there, uh, you know, so you can use him. Isaac Okoro seems like a guy that would be a perfect fit if he could just shoot enough and shoot well enough. And we saw them run into the problem two games into that Knicks series of J.B. Bickerstaff pulling Okoro out of the starting lineup because – I think he had foul trouble one game and he just, you know, he's not hitting enough of the shots to justify. He's not taking enough of the shots to justify the role, uh, at least in a playoff setting. And you're watching a quick hook. So Struess, I understand, fills that role for them. But I think that Kevin Love was actually what I think really hurt them, where a lot of people at the moment it happened. It was like, wait, why? Why is this team with essentially no playoff experience outside of Donovan Mitchell? trading the guy that has the most playoff experience on their team uh, or not trading him, but waving him to. And I understood it was in good faith. This guy has been with your franchise longer than any other player. Um, so you want to just do right by him. But he was also like a player that could be very valuable for you. That spread the floor for you. It's not perfect. He's getting older, but like he has a real role with this team in certain situations. And then you move him and you watch him advance with Miami and it's just, and you're watching, you know, you're watching from home after the the Cavs get somewhat embarrassed and and their playoff appearance, not somewhat, um, not even somewhat, not even somewhat. They were they were physically just thrashed in that series against a team that um, I can't remember who was favored in that series, but it was certainly reasonable to think that the Cavs should have been. Um, also, the Cavs I think had home court advantage. So, for all those reasons, the Kevin Love absence really seemed to hurt them. George Niang is a really good replacement. The downside, again, is that he – I don't know that he rebounds well enough, particularly for a team that was not a great rebounding team last year and particularly for a team that got shoved around in the first round. What I like about him is that he's a guy that's going to knock down shots on a team that that player in that fifth spot a lot of times. And Niang will probably come off the bench. We know that. But he's going to get a lot of shots if he's playing with Garland and with Donovan Mitchell, and presumably with with Evan Mobley. He's going to get tons of opportunities, and this is a guy that knocked down essentially 41% of his open or wide-open threes. So I think it's a really interesting fit. I also see where the problem areas potentially lie. Yeah, I I loved Cleveland Summer. I've talked about it before. They they addressed every need they could with whatever resources they had. They added a ton of shooting. I even liked the Levert contract for them. I think it's totally they brought Levert back too. Yeah, and fine for what he is as as hopefully a reserve for them with Shrew stepping into the starting lineup. Niang's rebounding numbers. I'm looking at them are, are really interesting. One of the reasons they're so bad is that 
because he's just he's a spot up shooter on offense, he never ever gets offensive rebounds. It's essentially right. like a total zero as an offense. He had 19 offensive rebounders, offensive rebounds the entire season wow. last year. He's never had more than 28 in any season. Wow, um, goodness. Defensive rebounding, his numbers aren't good enough for a four. Um, they're actually pretty bad for a four. I I do wonder if he's one of those guys who who is a good box, box out guy. Out. And he, when exactly. you're considering that he's played with Gobert and Embiid, who are just just eat rebounds, you you wonder if those numbers are are a little bit underrating him as a defensive rebounder, having not looked into it at all. But anyway, um, love Cleveland summer, and I think look Philly's in limbo. Milwaukee brought the band back together and brought Crowder back as well. Brought in Malik Beasley. I think they're going to be awesome in the regular season, at least. And you know they were mm-hmm. my pick to win the title last year, and did not did Me not too. do so. Uh, <laughs> and Boston has made some big changes. I think there's a little bit of a void, not a void, a little bit of a window for a team like Cleveland or New York or Atlanta or Miami, who's also in a little bit of a limbo right now with Dame, um, to sort of try to crack into like the top three in the East. And I think Cleveland has sure. the talent to do that in the regular season. Um, I want to, can we do one more? Please. I want to talk about poor John Collins in Utah because um, John Collins was just a trade, a, a walking trade rumor for four years. And then he finally yeah. got traded and talk about like full of sound and fury signifying nothing. I mean, the Hawks just dumped him for essentially nothing onto Utah. And all the conversation was, well, how, how did that happen? Like how did the Hawks mismanage that situation to that degree? Um, I still think John Collins is good. I, I, I've said for years, whoever gets John Collins, if he's motivated, and I think he will be, is going to get a surprisingly good player. Um, Utah is obviously one of the feel-good stories of last year. They were in playoff contention until the bottom kind of fell out, and they then they chased the bottom. Um, I think he's going to walk into the starting five, and they're going to try to go super big with the Collins, Markin, and Kessler trio as they did often last year with Olenek uh in that group uh and you know you look at Utah and you look at everything I said before about the West and how everyone loaded up and my gut on them is they're at risk for us they're at, at major risk for a step back in the West next season um you know their guard play and their playmaking specifically with Conley now long gone Makes mm-hmm. me nervous. The lack of perimeter sort of passing talent. Um, I Clarkson like thirty-seven. Sexton, I huh? Yeah, they Clarkson still have Sexton. Sexton. Clarkston mm-hmm. Sexton. We'll talk about their guards in a second, but mm-hmm. thirty-seven wins feels like a big lift for this group. That's what they did last year uh, in the in yeah. this new landscape, and yet they punched above their weight the entire season with Markinen and Kessler. They were plus six per 100 possessions in a lot of minutes. And if you take Conley off, that that holds. If you take Conley, Conley and Clarkson off, that holds. Um, there's something legit about those two guys, at least last season, that worked. Collins, to me, can fit right in as a superior version of Olenek and then play with Olenek at the four off the bench. To just the question then becomes who, who starts or who are the guard rotations I don't know the answer to that. I bet they start Ugbaji at the two for defense mm. and shooting. And then, you know, you have Clarkson, Sexton. One of those guys starts at point guard. Maybe they start both of them. I thought Clarkson 
really surprised me with his passing last season. He bought into it, um, he and, he, and he played that role well. THT, I think, will come off the bench for them. Had a fantastic last month of the season. This is an interesting group. And Collins, I'm not sure kind of how he's going to fit. It's the same thing. Like, Kessler will be the screen setter. Mm-hmm. Collins will have to work as a spacer, kind of jack, at all, jack of all trades. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see how it works. I have not... I have not really. I mean, we'll just see. I, I, but I do think Utah's kind of got an interesting group. When you throw in, you know, Hendricks, the kid they drafted, he's going to be ready to play right away. Keontae George looked awesome in summer league. He'll be ready maybe for minutes at some point, if not right at the beginning. Um, they got a lot of interesting pieces. I'm just, I just, how do you think Collins specifically goes there? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a, a fascinating team. If only because, like, think about the way that they impressed us to start last season. They were the surprise for the first three weeks or so of the season, longer than that, really, to be honest with you. Um, And, you know, they slowed down at a certain point, like we all expected them to, based on the rim protection numbers and everything else. Um, Collins becomes interesting because, like, there's a part of me that just looks at a situation and says, like, okay, I don't expect anybody to have the transformation that Markinen did last season, necessarily. But, like, statistically, when you look, Everybody had the same reaction when John Collins got traded and we saw what the return was of like, how is that all it took? How is that all that Atlanta got? Then you look at the reality of what his season was and it's like, oh, okay, I get it now a little bit more. Like these are career worst numbers from him, basically not quite across the board. Like I think he had his rookie season. He scored less, but I mean, he, he went from being, and it gets back to what we were saying about Marcus Smart earlier. There were moments where you're looking at a 36% three-point shooter. Last year, you're talking about sub-30. And granted, the guys, one of the guy's fingers looked like a different shape. Like, it it looked like a letter. And not the letter I. Not the small, (laughs) the lowercase L. It was like, I don't know what letter his finger looked like or what. I mean, his finger looked like the size of three fingers and bent in a different direction. So if that's why he wasn't shooting well, like, I imagine it had a lot to do with it. It's why the Jazz bought low on the guy. Like, why wouldn't you think he could be an impact player? He can defend. He can shoot. I mean, he's not. I don't. I don't think of him necessarily as a playmaker, but he can make plays for you. The, the playmaking. The, the playmaking downgrade from Olinick to him as that third yes. big. And like, I don't think they're going to play the three bigs together a ton. They'll start them and then stagger them. But that that does worry me a little bit. That and, and so that's the thing is like that was the difference with Markinen and why I think they kind of took off to start the season is that he made such a big leap from that standpoint of oh wow he he puts the ball on the floor and he's just blowing by people it wasn't him shooting it wasn't just his shooting so if Collins can give you some of that if he gives you more versatility obviously uh than than an Olenek you would expect that that's great for them um but you're, I mean, you're going to get, I would imagine there's no way you don't get a better version of him than what you saw last year at Atlanta. Atlanta also had changed so many things about their rotation. Um, the guys they had, Herter, Reddish, you know, these are guys that are out all of a sudden. Um, you bring in DeJounte Murray. And so it's kind of, you know, we, we've talked about the lack of movement in that offense sometimes because of Trey Young. This is an opera, this is a really good opportunity for him. And I imagine that I would hope on some level it, it motivates him. It's a fresh, start you're not playing under the stress and the the duress of of the constant rumors anymore and i would hope that you've gotten healthy to where your shot is back a little bit because it's it's hard to exist in this league as a guy that takes 
as many three-pointers as he has taken over his career to shoot that sort of percentage. I don't see him repeating that. I think he'll be better. And, um, you know, if you're the Jazz, it's, it's, it's a shot. Why not? Like, you're not losing much to get him. You have the cap room to take him on. Um, and if you rehab him and then decide we can get something else for him or, you know, or that you like him enough to keep him and maybe move somebody else in your rotation, you have that flexibility. They're still kind of just trying to figure out what they have. And I think for, from that standpoint, it's really interesting. Um, you know, I'd be a little bit surprised to see them in the playoff race in light of what we talked about. We haven't even talked that much about New Orleans, for instance, and, and you know, Zion's back and even if he's not, the fact that that's a team that could easily make the playoffs as well. It's it's a locked and loaded Western Conference, and and I don't expect Utah to be a firm part of that conversation, but there's talent there. I think if their guards play above their heads next season, we could be talking about them as a playoff team. Yeah, I like I said, 37 wins feels like a heavy lift. Um, the playmaking stuff also goes back to Markin and that that is the next and maybe final frontier in his game. He just he doesn't he makes other people better just by the sheer attention that he draws and both as a scorer and a shooter. He's one of the best one on one players in the league last year, post ISO, whatever you want to slice it. But the passing, his yeah. passing vision just hasn't been there and and Collins is a one to two assists per game max guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Kessler is a finisher. I think Kessler is going to be awesome. I think it was awesome last year. I think there's going to be more to his game than just mm-hmm. rim running and 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 finishing and def- obviously defense. Um, but I think Collins, it all hinges on the three point shot. And I'm trusting the track record. His four seasons, he shot 29 percent last year. The four seasons before that, 35, 40, 40, 36. If you just add in enough shooting. I'm just a belief, like, yeah, fine. You're starting three seven-footers, whatever. The fit is a little weird. At some point, the talent trumps the fit. Uh, Not trumps, but the talent makes up for or evens out whatever fit issues you have. And, like, he's just, he's a a talent. He can score in a lot of different ways. He's an athlete. He, he, He can move around the floor. Um and I and I, if there's enough shooting, I trust that he'll just find ways to make shots, to post up mismatches, to cut for dunks, to run the floor. He'll just find ways to average 18 points a game on an, in, on efficient shooting. But but I mean, long term, like you said, I mean, this season is sort of like whatever. It's, it's we'll see yeah. what they get out of Ogbaji, who looked awesome late last season. Hawkins, George, they own every Minnesota and Cleveland pick and swap going forward. Like they remain as well positioned as any team in the league, but I just felt like I wanted to talk about John Collins as a basketball player and not a trade, not a trade chip. I, I, I like it. I, I, are we out of time here? I, I, I had one more, but I, I could just mention it and then let it go. We don't mention have to it and let it, it go. Mention it and let it go. Like I'm, I was like so excited last year when, when Denver got Bruce Brown and uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued by, just how fast the Pacers are going to play next year. They are already really fast getting him getting Obi Toppin. Sure. There's some, there's something left to be desired from a defensive standpoint, but Bruce Brown is a good defender. Uh, that team is going to just, I mean, they're playing in Indiana. Uh, you know, they obviously have the Indy 500 every year. That's going to be a team that's just racing up and down the floor uh, and difficult to stop with an efficient point guard that makes the right reads. Uh, they're going to be so much fun. It wouldn't stun me if they found themselves at, in, in the playoff race at all. It, no. it really wouldn't. Like They might not be a, a good defensive team. They could end up being Kings East on some level. Um, 
but but I think that they're going to be just a pain in the ass to try to defend. So I, I really love, even at the money, I really love the Bruce Brown pickup if, for if the Pacers. Look, I've talked about the Pacers quite a bit. Big winners of the offseason to me, among the big winners. If they're not in, not only... If they're not in the play-in tournament, that will count as a disappointment to me. I think they're yeah. a legit, pretty good team who's not far away from being, oh boy, they're they're actually good. And, you don't want to play him. And, you know, he, you didn't mention him. He never gets mentioned. He's kind of like their John Collins is Miles Turner. Miles Turner's good. He's a good player. He's good for what he is. He's a really impactful 3 and D center, which is a rare thing. And yeah, sure. Hasn't developed the feel that you would hope as sort of a, a handoff guy in a hub and whatever. Um, you know, he's gotten a little better posting up mismatches and kind of playing his version of bully ball. Like he's kind, he's kind of been the forgotten guy there just in the discourse because he's been in so many trade rumors and he got extended. He yes. got that raise and extension last year. He's really mm-hmm. good and he's a really good fit with Halliburton. I love their team. Uh, Chris Herring, uh, what can we look forward from you at Sports Illustrated? Just, I mean, we're, we're in the doldrums of the summer, so probably nothing big for right now, but kind of working on some stuff for training camp and stuff like that. I mentioned the last time that I'm going to have a second book, so I'm just trying to get rolling on that. Um, but but nothing too, too massive. I think maybe some stuff for the Hall of Fame induction next month I'll have some reporting on, but other than Ooh, that, nothing too bad. That's a, that's a good one. Um, if you are not reading Chris at SI.com, do so. If you have somehow not read Blood in the Garden, his book on the 90s Knicks, go out and buy it immediately. Buy two copies and give one to a friend. Uh, Chris Herring, you, thank you for your time. I will see you, I don't know, in the fall. I'm I'm, de- <laughs> I'm doing my Europe decamping pretty soon, so I'll maybe I'll Enjoy talk that, to you in man. September, my friend. That sounds wonderful. It's really good to be on with you always. Thanks so much. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.